The truth is, so many of us live our whole lives letting life happen to us. We let life happen to us and we let it spin dark and out of control places. We get it spin into these lonely places. We let it spin lies within our minds and then take control of our emotions and trap us. And it sabotages us. And for some of us, we need to just stop letting life happen to us and start happening to life. Because you cannot be both victim and victor at the same time. You cannot be both victim and victor at the same time. And there's a battle that is going on. And we can deny it, we can ignore it, we can pretend it's not happening. And most of us don't even see it, but there is a battle that is going on for your life, for your body, for your heart, for your soul. There is a battle going on for your relationships, for your marriage, for your children, for your career, for your job, for your calling. Day after day, there is a battle that is going on. We have enemies. We have enemies. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, to be alert. To have a sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Hiding, waiting until just that right moment of weakness to pounce. We're told to resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, when I read that, it... Sometimes it just helps to know, like, I don't need you to solve my problem. just need to know I'm not the only one who faces it sometimes. just need to know there are people who have been there. Not only do we have this enemy that the Bible calls Satan, and I don't know, I, we can spend a whole series of theology on this, but the simple truth is there's an enemy at the spiritual level that attacks us, tempts us. And seeks to see our lives destroyed with lies. Not only do we battle this enemy, but we battle the world around us. Not like creation, not like puppy dogs and tigers and panda bears. Not like that kind of world. The trees are not out to get you. I mean, maybe pollen, but that's it. In North Carolina. But we're told in 1 John 3.13 not to be surprised. If the world hates you. Not to be surprised if the world hates you. In fact, Ephesians 6.12. Our struggle is not against other people. But against the powers and principalities of this world. There are temptations. There are struggles. There are pressures in this world. There are drives in our culture that will push us and press upon us. And, and leave us thinking and questioning everything we are. Everything we hope to be. Everything we imagine ourselves as. It'll cause us to question this truth. Do I really to God? Is He really there? Is He really with us? Is He close at all? Is He at all? Is there any truth? Is there any hope? Can I know peace? And what it'll do, the best lie of the world around us, is that these problems, these darkness, these temptations, these frustrations, these fear, the shame, the guilt, the doubt, the lie that it uses best against us is that those are us. That they are a part of us that we cannot ever be separated from. 
that they are intertwined identity as if we were created to live that way. But you know, even in spite of an enemy like Satan and an enemy like the world around me, my greatest enemy stares at me in the mirror every single morning. I do more self-sabotage than, than the enemy ever does to destroy my life. I cause myself more problems than anyone else ever does. There's a version of me that I hate. A version of me that I just wish didn't exist. Right? This version of me, this version of me will eat things that I don't want to eat. This, this version of me will drink things I don't want to drink, will say things I don't want to say. This, this version of me will be entertained by things I don't really find interesting or good or valuable. This version of me will waste my day with emotions that trap me. And, and this version of me likes to take a little thing and let it destroy the rest of the day. Like, oh, I cheated at breakfast on the way I want to eat, so we'll just write off the whole day and we'll try again tomorrow, or next Monday, or January 1st, <laughs> right? We think, oops, I, I really didn't mean to drink that much. Oops, I guess this day's over. You know the worst thing that this version of me does? is it thinks thoughts I don't really believe. This version of me thinks things that I don't really believe. And it, it is this constant self-sabotage that I really battle. In that annals of internal medicine, you can find some. If you're taking notes, be sure to put two ends in that word annals, because if you don't, you get a whole different word. <laughs> the annals of internal medicine... We find that only two-thirds of prescriptions written are actually filled. Only two-thirds of the prescriptions that your doctor writes you or others in our community actually get filled. And of the two-thirds that get filled, only half of the people who fill them actually take them according to the instructions. We stop early, we fill it and don't take it at all. We do any number of things with it. Except take it the way we're supposed to. And we wonder why we stay sick and have problems. Do you know there's one kind of prescription that defies these statistics? In fact, these same statistics hold true for medicines that save our lives, like like a transplant rejection medicine, an anti-rejection medicine. They still, still, only two-thirds and only half of those people take it. The only ones that get filled at a higher percentage are the ones your vet writes for your animal. We do a better job caring for our animals than we do ourselves. And we are in this constant battle with ourselves. (laughs) Aren't you fed up? Aren't you fed up with that version of you taking over? Hey, thanks. I love it. I don't know who said it, but say it again. 
I was told last week when I asked for an amen, like, we're riding too fast, Pastor. Like, we don't have time to stop and say amen because we're just, we're getting it down. That's, that works. Aren't you tired of losing the fight? Aren't you tired of the, the self-hatred, the shame and the guilt that comes with the afterthoughts of that version taking over? Just over all of the days and weeks and months ruined by bad moods, fear, doubt. Aren't you just tired of that numbing addiction? The thing we go to, whether we download it or we ingest it or drink it or whatever. Just tired of it. It's time, right? It's time to fight back. It's time to fight back. To take a look at that enemy in the eyes every morning and remind ourselves that we are in a battle. See, most of us lose because we don't even realize we're in a fight. And we need to take this battle seriously because you were given a life for a purpose. You are breathing today for a purpose. You were designed to live free, to live with peace, to live with joy, and to live in an influence for the kingdom of God. You were designed to make this world more like the kingdom of heaven. We're taught to pray it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. And we are designed to be the answer to that prayer. But we're running off, letting this version of ourselves take over and just take us out of the fight altogether. And it's time that we wake up and get into the fight. To actually declare war. To commit. To commit. So let's just do this out loud together. You just, just repeat after me. I, I declare, declare war. war. Man, that was weak. <laughs> I hope that none of you put on a uniform tomorrow morning. Because we're in trouble. Let's try one more time. I I declare declare war. war. We have got to commit. We've got to wake up and get into this battle. There was an explorer, a 20th century Scottish explorer named William Murray, who wrote these words. Until one is committed, there's a hesitancy. The chance to draw back. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth. The ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision, raising in one's favor, all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, And magic in it. Begin now. Begin now. 
It doesn't matter what we know if we're not committed to doing it. If we don't declare war on this version of ourselves, we have no chance of winning the battle. The good news, though, is that we don't fight the battle alone. We do not fight this battle alone. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 tells us, it tells us that, that his mercies are new every morning. So every time we get up and we look in the mirror at that enemy, we recognize and realize we don't face this battle alone. There is new mercy, there is new strength, there is new power in God. Hebrews chapter 4 Verses six, verse 16 says, let us approach God's throne, his throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We might find the grace to help in our time of need. This is our time of need. Years ago, there was a 39-year-old volunteer soldier named Theodore Roosevelt. He assembled a company of men, a company of volunteer soldiers, cowboys and Indians and Harvard grads and and lawmen. And they were known as they were trained to be the rough riders, (laughs) the volunteer cavalry for the Spanish-American War. They're most known for the Battle of San Juan Hill. There's something that happened to Theodore Roosevelt, to Teddy Roosevelt on that hill. As he was charging up the hill, there came this moment, this point of no return, this point of no retreat. It was said that as he crossed this barbed wire, that meant that the only thing he had left to do was to charge forward and continue to fight. Something happened in him. Those who observed him that day said that he fought unnaturally. It was as if he was the perfect soldier that day. Reflecting on it, a biographer named Edmund Morris wrote this. Soldiers are apt to recollect their wartime actions as poets do emotions. In tranquility, imposing order and reason upon a dreamlike tumult. Roosevelt was honest enough to admit, even when minutely describing his charge that at the time he was aware of very little going on outside the orbit of his ears and sweat fog spectacles. It was as if some primeval force drove him. All men who feel any power of joy in battle, he wrote, know what it's like when the wolf rises in your heart. And know what it's like when the wolf rises in your heart. Today, as we begin this series, we face a choice, a moment. The line of barbed wire stands before us, and we can cross it, and we can begin to fight. We can see that wolf rise up within us. And we can do battle against that version of ourselves we don't want to be in the power of God, or we can shrink back. No one can make the decision for you. No one can commit for you. No one can decide for you. You can come up with a thousand excuses right now. Every one of them belong to the version of you. 
You can say it's too hard. You can say it's too difficult. You can say it'll never happen. You can say I've peaked. I'm too old. I'm too young. Whatever it is, you can come up with a reason not to cross that line, not to live into that declaration of war. Or you can step across that barbed wire. See the wolf rise within you and begin to fight this day and every day for who you were created to be and do it with the help and in the power of God's spirit. That's where we're going the next few weeks. This is what we're talking about, how to live this battle, how to declare war. And it begins today. It begins right now with a declaration of war on our thoughts. We have to declare war. We have to win the battle for our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 23, 7. Says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. You can change the way you think, and it will begin to change everything else about who you are. I'm not talking about just positive thinking. It's not, it's not about some like feel-good mantra every day. But it's a response. response. Because see, most of our self-sabotaging feelings and actions begin in our minds. The great master Shifu, Kung Fu Panda. Before battle of fists must come battle of mind. Every battle we face is won or lost in our mind before it's ever lived out, before we ever act on it, before we ever live into it. It begins in our minds. See, what so often happens, and I recognize this in myself as someone who who deals with those dark moods, that depression, whatever you want to call it, that paralyzing fear and, and frustration and disappointment with life and the world and everyone else. It begins with just a thought as a seed in my mind. And I allow that thought to stay and grow and take me into places and moods that I never wanted to own as my own and I never wanted to be, but I just keep thinking that thought. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us to set our minds on things above, not on the things of this world, because it's hard to worship and worry at the same time. It's hard to worship and worry at the same time. And some of us, we come in here week after week and we stand there, mouths closed, with a frown. We can see you. It's not that dark. And we never open our mouths and let our voices come out. We never raise a hand and worship. We actually stand here with others, worshiping God, worrying about life and all of the problems and why we're not good enough and why it won't work and why we hope nobody hears us sing. Listen, if you don't want anybody to hear you sing, come stand on the front row with me. Then there's nobody in front of you. That's why I'm on the front row. But you know what? We can actually watch this happen in people's lives. They come here for the first few times, and, and I can't see you as well back in the back, but you sit in the back. 
And you stay back there. Then you move up a little bit. And then you move up real close. And then you start to sing. And then you start to raise your hands. And that's when we actually can watch life begin to change in people. When we're able to worship regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening in our lives, we can worship. Set our minds on things above, not on the problem, not on the difficulty, not on the emotion, not on what happened this morning or why this is going on, not on trying to figure out of all of our problems. We just worship. And something happens in our worship. Our minds are renewed, reshaped, reformed after what is true. We sing these words, I belong to you. And we sing them enough, they come out of our mouth enough that we begin to recognize the truth of them that we don't recognize when we pop in and out every week and not actually engage. See, worship is not about how you sound. It doesn't matter how you sound. It is an act of faith. It is an act of praise. It is a reminder That life is not always as it seems. That there is a God in this world and that He is at work and He is at work on our behalf. And that whether or not we believe in Him today, He still believes in us. Again, it's not mind over matter. It's just that our minds matter. Our minds matter. We have been given this great gift. Arnold Zwicky, the... Stanford professor, he recognized it and describes it as a frequency illusion. Our our most common experience is when you buy a different vehicle and suddenly you see it everywhere. There's not suddenly more of them in town. You're just noticing it. Because something in your conscious mind has triggered the subconscious effort to look for that thing, to notice it. And so our subconscious mind takes cues from our conscious thoughts. It's the way our brains were designed. It gives us power. Here's what it means. Just as simply, you find what you're looking for. You find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for negativity, if you're looking for a reason to complain, if you're looking for something else to go wrong, you'll find it. Think about it. You take your car, right, to get the oil changed or to get new tires, and they're going to list five more things wrong with it because they're looking for it, right? Their job depends on that. Don't believe everything they tell you, by the way. (laughs) And you can do more than yourself than you realize. Anyway, you're going to find what you're looking for. So that brings us to the second thing. First, declare war on your thoughts. Second, reverse the polarity. I talked a little bit about this in in rally this morning, but this last couple of weeks, I've been fixing lots of things on my truck. It's been really annoying. And as I was fixing things, often the parts would be in the back seat, and I'd have the door open, and so the battery got drained, and I thought that was it, and I jumped that battery like five times, ten times it felt, maybe 20, I don't know. It felt like every time I had to get into it, I was jumping it. I thought, well, it just needs to get charged up. So I got it started on Monday morning, and I drove three hours to Asheboro. And I'm there, I park it, turn it off, turn it back on, cranks right back up. It's great. Okay, that solved it. Go fishing for a couple hours before I have to meet some folks, and then go to get in it, and it barely... 
So in Ashboro, where I don't know anybody and can't find anybody to hook up a discount for me, I'm having to buy a new battery. Aggravated. But one of the things I know about jumping a vehicle is that there are two rules. Once you hook up those jumper cables to one battery, don't touch the two ends together. And every guy in the room says, this is kind of fun, it makes a spark. Right? Kids don't touch the two ends together. The other thing is, make sure that you get the polarity right. The red one to the positive, and the black one to the negative. If you reverse that polarity, if you put a negative where a positive is supposed to be, it's going to be a problem. Best case, the thing doesn't start. You tried quickly and stop. Worst case, you keep trying. The wires inside of those cables begin to heat up and melt the rubber casing, dripping all over your vehicle. The wires themselves begin to heat up and catch fire and burn. That's still kind of a best case. Worst case, the charge begins to back up into that charged up battery until it explodes. Thankfully, every time I jump started a vehicle this week, I knew those rules and I did it correctly. But it got me to thinking about how we often live our lives. We put a negative where a positive is supposed to be and we wonder why life isn't turning out better. We wonder why the day seems to be smoldering. (laughs) Little things catch fire. Or when it's really bad, they explode in our faces. And one of the things we just need to do is reverse that polarity. We need to reverse that polarity. We have a negative where a positive is supposed to be. Philippians 4.8 tells us, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. Look, positive thinking is not a replacement for your relationship with God. It is a reaction to your relationship with God. It is a reaction. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and through 18 tells us to rejoice always. Yes, always. Because we recognize that no matter what's going on around us, there is someone greater at work in our lives. There is something bigger happening in our story than what we can see right now. And we know that we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we choose We choose to think about what is true and good and lovely and pure and wonderful. We reverse that polarity. When we want to worry, we worship. When we want to live with grumbling, instead we go to gratitude. When we want to pout, we pray. We want to complain, we encourage someone. Negative thoughts never lead to a positive life. And this is why we need to do the third and last thing. We need to set a guard on our minds. We need to set a guard on our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, put it this way. For though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power 
to demolish strongholds. If you don't think that negative thoughts can build a stronghold within your mind and your emotions, then give it a little while. We can demolish those strongholds. We demolish the arguments that that version of ourselves we don't want to be is throwing in our face every day. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge, the truth of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every single day, you'll have 500 intrusive thoughts that last on average 14 seconds apiece. 18% of those are kind of rude. It's not nice. Unkind. Disrespectful thoughts. Another 13% are shocking. Shockingly mean, violent, perverted, aggressive thoughts. So that means in your day, somewhere around 116 minutes, you are being bombarded with negative, unwanted, unhelpful, unproductive thinking. But the problem is not that those thoughts come to your mind. The problem is we make a bed and give them a special chair and invite them to move in and live with us for the rest of our lives. And we believe this junk as if it was true. We need a guard who will stand and take every thought captive, question every thought like the TSA on a plane. Where are you going? Do you have anything in this bag that you shouldn't have? Are you, what's your business in my mind? Where are you planning to take me? We have to guard. Those thoughts are like trains that will take us places we never wanted to go. I mean, I can trace it back almost every time. Yelling at the car in front of me, which by the way, I made a decision last summer after getting a ticket to not do anymore. I needed to slow down. The cop was kind of rude, but anyway, that's a whole other story. I made a decision. My family didn't believe I could do it. Actually, and they've been traveling at times, and he's like, the kids are in the car. I know your pastor's not supposed to say this stuff, but, you know. And um, they didn't believe I could do it. After a week, they're like, Dad, you're doing really good. After a month, he's like, you're still doing good. It's been, what, three months now? I've only yelled at one person, and nobody else was in the car to hear it. <laughs> but every time I yelled at another car, every time I was short with my family, every time I was a bad mood killing the whole vibe in the office, I could trace it back to a feeling and then to a thought that I allowed a place in my mind that it shouldn't have had. We got we to gotta put that TSA-style checkpoint on our thoughts. Sometimes it's obvious, right? We're staring down those thoughts like anger and jealousy or rage, gossip. And, and it's easy to say, okay, those don't belong, right? But what about thoughts like, you'll never be better than this. You've peaked. You'll, you'll never overcome that challenge. You'll never accomplish anything. You can't do this. Your anxiety, depression, fear, those, those are a part of you. Just get used to it. Just, just, just let them have their way. 
Nobody cares about you. God doesn't really even. What about, let's take it even deeper. Like, what about thoughts like the suspicion of others' motives? Those internal conversations you imagine in your mind that never happen? Okay, the laughter lets me know I'm not the only one. The shame, telling you you're not enough. Worry. Worry about things that, one, are likely never to happen, and two, you have no control over. Like, if you just stopped worrying about that, suddenly you have enough energy and attention to deal with the things you can do. Not obsessing over being left out of something. Being happy to see someone else fail. Stressing out about money. Stewing over what happened yesterday, last week, last year. Declare war. Don't be nice about it. Kick these things to the road and get rid of them. Look, here's never look where you don't want to go. I used to ride a motorcycle. I gave it up after God showed me a dead fox on the road and said, if you want to be him, keep riding this thing. And so I sold it years ago. I, if you have a motorcycle, great. I'm jealous. But the thing that was true, one thing that is true, you will always go where you look. If you look at that pile of gravel in the road that you won't, don't want to hit because it will make you slide, you'll hit it. If you look at the pothole, you'll hit it. If you look at the side of the road, you'll hit it. Look where you want to go. So never look where you don't want to go. Don't play around with that stuff. I do know the time. So I'm going to skip a little part. There's so much of this. Listen, if you really want to dig into some of this, Levi Lesko has a book out, I Declare War. Grab that. Um, get on Kindle, whatever. It'll take this stuff even more deeply than I can. Or just call me and we'll have coffee and keep talking about it. Things have to happen for me to begin to change the way I think. The first is I have to realize who I am. God chose me. He approves of me. And like he spoke over Jesus at his baptism before he had done anything good, before he had accomplished anything, before taught a single lesson, sermon, or done a single miracle, he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he looks at you and me, this is my daughter. This is my son. I approve. We don't need anybody else's approval. But we got nothing to prove. We can live free because of who we are. When we find our identity in God, everything becomes possible. The second thing, and I'm going to come back to that, but the second thing was when I was a teenager, it would happen to me a lot, and occasionally it still does. I get thinking and talking so quickly that I only say half the sentence. And I wonder why nobody understands me, right? Everybody appears to say, slow down, get your thoughts together. And then speak. And for some of us, that's all we really need to do, right? Slow down. Get our thoughts together. Run them through the checkpoint. Kick the ones out that don't belong. And then begin to feel and act. And go on with your day. Just slow down. Take every thought captive. And then act. And see if you don't begin to overcome that version of yourself that you never wanted to be anyway. Back to what I was saying just a minute ago. 
It all begins in God. It's only possible in Him. You are not given this battle to fight on your own. You'd lose every time. We know that. I've got 40 years to prove it. But in Him, in Him, the odds shift into our favor. By his spirit, that wolf begins to rise. And we find in Romans 8, 37, that we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 1 John 5, 5, who overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Revelation 12, 4, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. What we say, which begins in what we think. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. You will hear every single Sunday that you ever come to Hydrant Church, connect, fill, and overflow. It's who we are. But I want to just change that one word today to help us begin to picture how this actually works. We connect, we're filled, and we overcome. Connect, fill, and overcome. It's not in your own strength. This is not about thinking positive and trying harder. That's just self-help and no help at all. God's help gives us what we need to become overcomers. We're going to keep going down this path over the next few weeks before we can ever begin to really declare war, really commit. It begins not with a commitment to fight, but a commitment to Christ. A commitment to trust him, to trust who he says we are, and to let him fill us with his spirit as he promised to do, with his strength. So we're going to take a minute to pray, and I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we don't do this a whole lot here. I'm not going to ask you to get up or do anything embarrassing. But without anybody looking around, if you would say, Pastor, I don't even know how this works. I don't even know all this. I just know there's a version of me that I am tired of. And I I need God's help. And I've been trying to fight this battle on my own, but today I want to commit to Christ. I want to find a new beginning in Him. I want to ask Him to fill me with His Spirit in a way that I can be an overcomer and then overflow. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I just want to be able to pray all over the room. Man, good, good. You can put your hands down. Just in your own heart and mind, maybe pray something like what I'm about to pray. God, if I'm honest, sometimes I I wonder if you're really there and if you really care about me. I'm choosing today to believe in a truth that is bigger than me, that you have created me. That you loved me so much that you let Jesus die for me to give me life. God, I'm sorry for the way I've been trying to do it all on my own and the way I've messed it up. The way I've self-sabotaged and hurt myself and hurt others. And today, God, would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your spirit so that I can fight this fight? And would you remind me 
that you alone are the strength to overcome, but that with your strength I can overcome. I don't have to be that person. I don't have to stay in the darkness. I don't have to let it own me. I don't have to let the shame or the guilt or the fear or the worry or the grumbling or the doubt or the complaining take over my day. I don't have to live by my temper. I can live free. Jesus set me free. Fill me with your strength and make me the overcomer that you promised I could be. God, I'm going to try this week to set a guard on my thoughts, to reverse the polarity. I declare war on my thoughts this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One last thought, and I promise it, and I'm going to let you go. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 that I told you earlier, it says there's new mercies every day. With the morning come new mercies, new strength. If you were to get onto the International Space Station some 200 to 250 miles above the earth, it's rotating around the earth at about five miles a second. And if you were to sit in the front observing window of that International Space Station, you would witness 19 sunrises and sunsets every day, every 24 hours. You don't have to wait till tomorrow morning to get new mercy and new grace for this fight. It's always there, always available. Don't let one mistake ruin a day, a week, or more. There's new mercies, a God ready to help right when you need it. Go in that grace and in that strength. Let the wolf rise, declare war, and become who you were created to be this week. Enjoy a homemade cookie on the way out. I mean, unless that's a battle you're trying to fight. Then you can walk by. We love you. We'll see you soon.